0: You can't handle the truth. Bango! Bang! You are now listening to the facts.
1: Straight up.
0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I'm your co-host Jim Jackson, here with my guys Stat Matt Robinson and Kyle Sirek. Our guy Jake Galley is on the way back from vacation, so he's got the week off again. But got two of my guys sitting right here, guys. How we doing? The countdown continues. We are now only two and a half weeks, or two weeks in a day, really, from live sports returning. The NBA tips off on the 31st. So we're almost there. But how you guys doing this week?
2: Doing good, doing good. Cannot wait for the NBA to come back. Been missing it four months now. I mean, soccer's been back. I'm not the huge soccer fan, but I'm excited.
0: I mean, we almost there, man. I think, that is, I think that speaks to the fact that you haven't seen sports in four months. Like, that's, that's what that is a byproduct of, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see anything. But in that vein, we are excited to see the NBA return. And that brings us to the fact straight at you. At the break of the NBA season, the Sixers sat 19th in pace, 22nd and 3-point attempt rate, and we're middle of the pack around 14-15, an efficient field goal percentage. Now this is all very relevant because Brett Brown has come out and said he's been playing Ben Simmons primarily at power forward since they've been in the bubble and are preparing for this restart of the NBA season. So I got to ask you guys as being big Sixers fans, is this a good move for the Sixers? Is this the right direction?
1: Absolutely. 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 For one reason only, it gets Al Horford off the floor. When <laughs> Embi- I'm not anti-Al Horford. I'm anti-Al Horford when Embiid's on the floor. Al Horford should only. So you're anti-Al
0: Horford for like 35 minutes of the game. You're Al Horford. You're pro-Al Horford for like one fifth of the game. Okay, you can't put
1: Simmons Horford and Embiid together at all. You can't do that.
0: So okay, so that, that 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 goes to like your anti-Al Horford for like 38 minutes of the game, like damn near the whole game.
1: It's good to have off the bench. You can you can space out Embiid's minutes so he doesn't get tired. And Shake Milton has been coming on. He's going to be the new point guard with Simmons at the four. And Shake Milton is the perfect answer to what they need from a shooting standpoint. He has been on fire from three recently. For the season, he's shooting 45%. Since he became a regular player 20 games ago, he's been shooting over 50% from three. And he scored 39 against the Clippers when Kawhi even got switched on him. Shake Milton... All, all I need him to be is what Mario Chalmers was for the Heat, and I think nice. he can do it. That's
2: that's what I see this as, Matt. I see this as this is okay. Simmons moves to the four, great, but this is a this is a Shake Milton move here to me. That's what um, that I mean. My
0: question, Kyle: is this the focus? Was the focus more on Ben Simmons going to the four, or was the focus more on Shake Milton than not at point guard?
2: The focus is on the offense here, and Al Horford. You know that's been the Sixers' struggles. And Al Horford wasn't giving you that. I mean, shake has been great, 50% from the field, 15.5 points when starting at point guard this season. And I think bringing him in is going to really up that offense that the Sixers needed. And Horford, I mean, he was good, kind of. But he, he's going to even help – moving to the bench is even going to help him.
1: The, the pace ranking is the Horford indictment. So exactly. what is when you have Ben Simmons, it's a disgrace when he's yeah. one of the most effective players in transition in the league.
0: In transition. Yeah. Matt, I need you to stick up for me right now. I've been saying this for years that the biggest problem that the Sixers had in offense was that Ben Simmons was the point guard in all roles, in half court and full court and whatever. And I, I've been saying that they needed to find someone who they were comfortable with taking that ball out of Ben Simmons' hands in the half court because Ben Simmons can still be the Ben Simmons we all know and love with being the power forward. He can still do that. He can still run that point forward position that we've seen lebron transform into that we've seen blake griffin running that we've seen anthony davis running giannis running like ben simmons can do that and the sixers won't really miss like won't really miss a beat 34% assist rate with only 20% usage rate which is like very elite passing numbers that's 8.2 assists per game and an over a 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio for like reference luka doncic averages 8.9 assists per game 0.7 more than Ben Simmons, but nearly twice his usage rate at 37%. So this all comes from the standpoint of you can take the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands for a good majority of the game, and you won't lose production out of him. And I think that's what the Sixers and Sixers fans were so worried of. Like, if we we move Ben Simmons' role, we're going to lose who Ben Simmons is. That's not – I don't think that was the case. I think if you move his role, you heighten his ability in other aspects and you minimize his downfall – in the other aspects you heighten his, his you know his ability in the full court and you minimize his downfall in the half court and you also open the lane up for other people right? this is a move that needed to be made a long time ago for me and I've been on record saying it Matt I need you to I need you to vouch for me I've been on record saying it right now Matt, you have been thank you. thank you I love it all. you
1: can listen to our old podcast you'll hear him say it too it also helps offensive rebounding because he someone that athletic can move to the ball very easily on offensive rebounds. And like just his speed and size instead of being up top at the point where you can't get a rebound,
2: gives you more possessions as well. I agree with that. The the one thing that actually really surprised me here was that twenty percent usage rate. I mean so I mean he's getting those eight assists per game. That's not gonna fall off. Moving Ben Simmons to the four doesn't mean he's not gonna be running the point when you need him first of all, mm-hmm. but not Passing. I mean, he's gonna still get those numbers if it's eight assists per game, or if it's seven, okay. But it's not like Ben Simmons is not gonna be in kind of the same role he's in. And moving Shake Milton to the point guard over Al Horford. I mean, the comparison is Shake over Al Horford. We have the Sixers sixth in defensive rating, but seventeenth in all offensive rating this year. And Shake is gonna drastically improve that because Horford hasn't been anything special offensively or even defensively at this point. I mean, I think that is what the Sixers needed a hundred percent. And Shake Milton probably, I hope, is the answer to that.
0: I think he's a little bit... Can we expect, like, 39 points or, you know, the barrage he was doing over those, you know, his five, six-game span? I, probably not.
1: And he's not going to be miffed by Simmons taking some of the half-court exactly. setups because he knows, like, he's... If you, like, I I did the Mario Chalmers comparison. Chalmers never averaged more than five assists per game, but he was still a point guard. LeBron took the ball out of the court from time to time. And I think... Shake Milton will be fine letting Simmons do that as well, so it doesn't cause yeah, like any inter-team conflict.
0: I do, and I think he could be better than what Marlon Chalmers, you know, was when the Heat were their best. Marlon Chalmers wasn't giving more than like six or seven points a game. I think you can, we can expect yeah. and almost bank on Shake Milton at least striving for double digits each game. Um, a little bit of a hot take, but not so much hot, lukewarm take is I think someone that this helps tremendously in the Sixers' offense is is Tobias Harris. Um, I think the, the spacing that, that Shake Milton is going to bring, the spacing of allowing Ben Simmons to go to the floor, um, won't push Tobias Harris in the corner so much. If you notice, you know, what was happening in the Sixers offense so much, why Ben Simmons had to come into the lane, now you have three people in the lane. And, Matt, you talked about it where having Joel B, Ben Simmons, and Al Horford on the floor at the same time just was never good for the Sixers. That, that spacing was just terrible. Um, so when that had to happen, when Ben Simmons went outside you, or went inside, you saw Joel B get pushed out to the three-point line so much. There's no room for him to operate down there. When he does that, that almost puts Tobias in a corner, where when you're in a corner, you got about two options, either catch and shoot from the corner or pass it out before you get trapped. And there was no, there, there was no playmaking ability from Tobias Harris. And when the Sixers got Tobias Harris, he was among the best pick and roll players in the NBA. And I think with this spacing, you allow him to kind of rotate back up top and put him back in his most comfortable positions, which is being a ball handler, coming off that pick and roll, and having shooters out to. Like this, this does so much for the Sixers' offense. I'm glad we're going away from the oh look how tall we are, look how big we are. We're we're six six and above on offense and on defense. We're the biggest team in the league. Who gives it? Who gives a shit? Like who cares? Like can you can you? Run at a high-tempo pace. That's what the NBA is right now. I can give a shit less if you're six six and above everywhere. Can you run with these teams? And now the Sixers, I think, can run with these teams. So I think this drastically improves. And we put out something on our social media that says this move might make the Sixers the team, you know, that, that is destined to beat Milwaukee in the East now. Kind of, you know, leapfrogging a lot of teams. Is that sincere? Is that honestly something that we can bank on, the Sixers being that team to beat Milwaukee?
1: It's – I'm not afraid of Boston, if, as a Sixers saying if we play them in the playoffs, especially now that there's no home court advantage that I have to worry about. Toronto's tough just because they're a championship team with nothing to lose. They have no high expectations, and they're playing for fun now. They make the conference finals. They're losing the second round. Toronto fans are going to be like, oh, big disappointment. I think Toronto and Philly are the two teams that could knock off Milwaukee. I just want to say something about Tobias Harris quickly. He struggled when he first got here a lot, more than people like to say, going back to when they traded for him. In the first 38 games Tobias Harris played for the Sixers, he only shot 29% from three. In his last 54 games, he's bumped that up to 39. So he's finally coming into his own a bit. Those last 20 games are when Shake Milton started to play more. So that goes to your point. And I, I'm really feeling optimistic. I'm talking myself into them again. I don't know.
0: I don't know time it doesn't matter that it's july it's it's gearing up for the playoffs so this is right all you say all you Sixers fans should fall into line right now now this is when you know you guys think you're making a finals run this is about that time
2: i mean well first of all is that the bias that counting the playoff games last year that does not he shot 34 percent last. Year. horrible man i still think he's the reason we lost that toronto series but back to the question i think the sixers are that team right now and I want to flip-flop with that here because I think the Celtics pose a bigger threat than the Raptors do. I think the Raptors, if, if Van Vliet becomes that guy, they're a problem. But I'm not too scared of the Raptors besides that. But I think the Celtics, I mean, Kemba going into the playoffs, I'm excited to see that. You know what Tatum can do. Jalen Brown's been playing great. I think they pose a threat. But if you've got to pick one team to beat the Bucks right now, it's the Sixers, baby. I, I, I don't see another team with as much promise going into the playoffs right now.
0: How about the team that beat them last year? Handedly. I get they don't have Kawhi, but how about the team that I think beat like everybody else?
2: Do they beat us without Kawhi, though?
0: I'm talking about the team that beat the, that, that the Bucs last year. They were down
1: 2-0 uh, oh, yeah. when game three was in overtime. They were an overtime away from being on 3-0 series over. The Bucs gave them a
0: run. That's true. Four, four straight, though. Four straight to end it. But, you know, getting back to the original point at hand, you know, with the Sixers, I think it's – this is this is telling. This move is telling because I think you're looking at two players where you're wondering how much does this improve their game with moving Ben Simmons to the four. Obviously, Ben Simmons. But the other biggest player is Joel Embiid, a guy we talked about last episode was saying he should never be in a position to, you know, to kind of to demand the ball, ask for the ball, should kind of just come to him. This kind of takes the ball out of his hands a little bit, especially going down the stretch of games. So does this – does this improve – Embiid status in regular season or or even in playoff time. Does this improve Joel Embiid's game? I think the more
1: space here on the floor gives him more room to operate. And no Horford means more Embiid in open space, which means good a lot of success for Embiid. And yeah,
2: that's, that's the big thing.
1: And Embiid has struggled in the playoffs. Last year he was sick against Toronto and Marcus Sol's like historically really good against him. But I really think and he he really developed this offseason, and his counting numbers are down, but if you look at per 36 numbers, they're great compared – they're just like the same as last year, essentially. And with four months off to rest him because his fatigue has been a problem, it's a perfect mix.
2: Yeah, with, with spacing the shooters, I think that is the big thing, spacing the floor with shooters now. but and giving him more room to operate. And when he has that, who is stopping Embiid? Which center is stopping Embiid in the East? Can, can, do you guys have one?
0: Al Horford. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly, right? That's the, that's the point. I mean, I, I don't see him getting stopped, and it's up to him to choose and pick his spots and really run this team. But the team around him is great. I, like, I, I don't see any issues with the Sixers offense and spacing anymore now that Shake Milton is in there and Al Horford's out.
0: We'll see. I think Al Horford going to the bench now, you, you bring off the bench, Matisse Thibault, Al Horford, um, and, you know, Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson third. Hopefully now your bench unit is, is very good coming in.
2: Um, Mike Scott.
0: Yeah, I, Mike Scott. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see about Mike Scott. <laughs> I do think the ending lineup for the Sixers will be a, a very good defensive one. Now you to end the game, you take shakeout, put Matiste in, move everybody back to their original positions, and now you have a juggernaut on the defensive end to, to end the game for the Sixers, But we'll move on. We'll shift narratives from that uh, because this past week, I don't know if you guys saw, I'm sure you guys saw that uh bleach report released uh, the top hundred players of the 2019 2020 season. Um, and there were a lot of, a lot of head scratchers. The biggest one, the one that got the most notoriety was they had Russell Westbrook uh, ranked at 22nd. He saw this and, and laughed at it. And to be honest, I I've got to be right there with him with laughing at it with, I don't know if I could name – there's no way I could name 21 better players in this past season than Russell Westbrook. Just to put it into context, this past season he's averaging 27 points, eight rebounds, eight assists on 47% from the field, 77% from the free throw line. The Rockets have had two winning streaks of six-plus games this year. I did a little bit of research. In In those two winning streaks, the first winning streak they won six games Russell Westbrook averaged 22 points a game, seven rebounds a game, five assists per game, and a net rating of, of 11 plus minus. In the second uh, six-game winning streak in the midst of a 13-4 to four record at the time, he went for 33 points a game, seven rebounds a game, six assists per game, and again, a net rating of 11 plus or minus on the court. So, like, I'm just looking at this list straight, and the first person that I got to defend, the first person I got to go to bat for is Russell Westbrook. If you go to the Bleacher Report article, they kind of list the reasons why. And they state, like, very painstakingly all the great things Russell Westbrook is doing this past year and say that his inefficiency is the reason that lands him at 22. They kind of whisper his his accomplishments and scream his failures and put him at 22. And that just does not sit right with me. If you look at kind of what the Rockets are doing, the reason they got rid of Clint Capella was to aid in Russell Westbrook's style of play. They're kind of moving their team to the way Russell Westbrook plays, not the way James Harden plays, a full court game, an up-tempo game, not having to wait for a big man to go down the floor and clearing the lane completely for Russ. So 22, like I I can't get down with that. I cannot get down with 22. I don't know about you guys.
1: I don't think it's that crazy. He is very inefficient. He's never won a playoff series as the best player on a team. But,
0: but we're not talking about past years. I knew you were about to bring up, like, past years. It's of the 2019-2020 season, which has not presented a playoff series yet. So you can't use playoffs against them. That's,
1: okay. Chris Paul was supposed to be old and washed with a bad contract. They flip players, and they're not any better. And Chris Paul is, not, is a little higher on the list than Russ. But Russell Westbrook is supposed to be like this dynamic person that's going to lift the Rockets up. The Warriors are done. The only thing in their path was the Warriors for years and years and years. They're gone, and they can't even be the three seed behind the Clippers and Lakers. And
0: that's, But that falls on the back of Russell Westbrook. Not, not well, on the back of the best player. Say it again?
1: Harden's putting up normal Harden numbers. And Russell Westbrook is 91st in winchairs before the eighth this year. 91st. Andre Drummond and Jordan Clarkson are ahead of him.
0: This is, this is what I'll say uh, to that, Matt. If we're looking at individual performances, we're looking at individual stat lines and and where a player is sitting relative to other players in the league. The only knock you can put on Russell Westbrook is inefficiency. And I won't look, I, I won't look past that. That's, You know, that's a big knock on him. And those same six-game winning streaks that I just named, I mean, his efficiency is is terrible. It's like 21% from three, like 40% from the field. It's, It's not good. Turnovers are about four to five, you know, a game. So I get the inefficiency. But that's always been there, and it's improving. Like, if you look at where Russell Westbrook is in past years, like, it's hard to believe, but it gets worse. And if you look at overall this year versus other bodies of work, I don't think it's it's a stretch to say this might be the best version of Russell Westbrook we've ever seen. He's not the best player on his team, so it's not, you know, as advertised. But if you look at straight numbers-wise, this is one of the best Russell Westbrook years we've seen in a, in a long time. And, and I still, I, got, to, I don't think it's I still got to go
1: with his MVP season.
0: Aver- right. I'm obviously averaging a triple-double, but if I'm going overall, he's more efficient than his MVP season. His numbers aren't as inflated. But he's a little bit more efficient than his MVP season this year. Uh, his MVP
1: season, he shot fifty-five point four percent true shooting. This year, he's shooting fifty-three point nine percent true shooting. If you look at like normal field goal percentage, it's it's higher. But you got he was a much better three point shooter his MVP year and was a much better free throw shooter.
0: Right, I'm gonna put it this way. I'm gonna name just some people off the top of my head, and you tell me if the, if you take them over Russell Westbrook right now in this past season, okay? Nikola Jokic. Yes. I'm going to – we'll move on. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I can't argue with him if he's going to start right there. Jokic, I, Jokic, I is, Jokic is very I, good. I can't, I can't He's very. Jokic is very good. Russell Westbrook I, is elite. Russell Westbrook is top ten. Jokic elite.
1: Uh, I will say this. He's better than Kyle Lowry, who's ahead of him on the list.
2: Yep. I had, I had two objections to he's two people. He's better than Kyrie
1: as
0: well. For Kyrie, me it was Kyrie, Kyrie's, even, Kyrie's played like 12 games. Like, he, played, like, he. <laughs> like how do you yeah. put Kyrie above <laughs> Russ? It's kind of passing All right, Matt, since like since you just want to like defend us all all crazy, let me give let me give another one. Chris Middleton at 10. You really think Chris Middleton should be 12 spots ahead of Russell Westbrook? Like you think that's okay?
1: It absolutely is okay. Chris Middleton has been fantastic this year, and no one gives him respect because his name's Chris Middleton. And he plays in Milwaukee.
0: Chris Middleton. Chris, the Milwaukee Bucks, Chris Middleton. So yes. is it, the 10th best player of the 2019-2020 of the season.
1: I don't know if I put him at 10, but being 10 is closer to being correct than putting him at 20 would be. So, he, he, he is the second best player on one of the greatest teams ever, if you go by net rating, and this is about this season, he is averaging a clean 22-6-4 and four on incredible efficiency, 62% true shooting. And he's 11th in the NBA in Winchester for 48, ahead of Westbrook, of course, by a lot. Ahead of Jokic, ahead of Embiid and Simmons, my boys. He's been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Him at 10 is not a ridiculous thing.
0: Okay, so then answer me this point blank period, Matt. Throw it out the window. We're playing pickup ball, okay? We both got two players on our team. A pickup is Thank Pickup. I didn't have to finish the question. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Point, point the case in point right there. I don't care what like sometimes I don't care what advanced stats say. Sometimes I don't care what their true shooting <laughs> percentage is. I sometimes I gotta go by if I'm building a team and my next pick comes down to Russell Westbrook or Chris Middleton, who the hell are you picking? And if anybody says Chris Middleton, you're crazy. Like, if anybody says Chris Middleton there, you are absolutely insane. So, like, I get that Chris Middleton had a better year. And sometimes I think Bleacher Report is trying to, like, to feed a narrative, right? Like, I think Chris Middleton is one of the most underrated players in the league. Like, yes, he's a good player. He's an all-star. And I think a little bit of what Bleacher Report is trying to do is, like, say that. It's trying to, like, put guys in front of you that aren't household names, that aren't you know, that aren't top in the league in jersey sales. I'm trying to get you to see that there are other players besides Russell Westbrook in the league and James Harden in the league and Giannis and other that. And I think them putting Chris Middleton at 10 is, is trying to give, like, overly shine, but whatever. I may not agree with the order of the list, but, I, I mean, I pretty much think that everyone who should have made the top 100 made the top 100 this year. Like, that, that's just my opinion.
2: Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Who's
0: wrong. outside of this list that should be in this list?
2: There was one person that got done so criminally, and his name is Terry Rozier. It is ridiculous that Terry Rozier is not on this list.
0: This guy coming at me with Chris Middleton is right at 10. You're coming at me with Terry Rozier was top 100 in the league this past year.
2: Yes. So he's it's 48. the Hornets. Mm, 23. 23 who overperformed what they should have done. They should have been one of the worst teams in the league, and they were 10th in the East. So, And Terry had a lot to do with that. So he's 48th in the league in points per game. Not great. Not bad, though. It's top in the league. He was 12th in the league in three-pointers made. And people could be like, all right, you're jacking up a lot. You're going to make some. Blind squirrel finds a nut. But it wasn't the case. Only three of the players above him had a better three-point percentage. And the reason I want to put Terry Virgil on the list is, you had his counterpart, Devontae Graham, at sixty six. And Devontae Graham only beat Terry Rozier in two stats this year. One was points per game, where he beat him by .2. And the other one was assists, where he beat him by 3.5. So, sure, the assists, I get it. But Rozier beat him in almost every stat. Playing out of position, too. Rozier is playing shooting guard. So, I mean, almost a full turnover more a game for Graham. 4.5% better field goal percentage, better three-point percentage. In my opinion, Rozier had the better season than Graham did. And if you disagree... I mean, Graham was this far ahead of Terry Rozier. It was so slightly. Right. So if you want to say Graham had the better season, sure. But you can't name me 34 players that are in that sliver between, Terry, or between Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. And then you've got to look at the bottom of the list on people that they put above him. Derek White, <laughs> the, the, the filling guy for Deontay Murray and DeMar DeRozan, who started 13 games this year. I mean, how do you even make that point? I don't get it. He wasn't on a better team. The Spurs, four more wins. They're not going to make the playoffs, I don't think. I guess they have a shot. I mean, and, like, Dante DiVincenzo was on there. You can make that point about DiVincenzo. He was on a good team. But Derek Wright or no, White you know, over I, Terry year
0: To be honest, I didn't look past, like, 50. Because when you look past 50, it's like I'm, I, these are players that are, like, yeah. Dante DiVincenzo and Devontae players I don't really care about. Yeah. I don't know for DiVincenzo, but you know what I mean in terms of the league. Yeah. Um, so I haven't really checked You know that. I'm
2: looking out for my guy Terry, man.
0: But, no, I mean, look, that's a Terry Rozier stand right there. I expect you to do nothing less. And I agree. If we're going to have players like Derek White and DiVincenzo, and I can only imagine that we got like a Clint Capella up there somewhere. Players He's on like,
2: there. He's 89. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So then, yes, Terry Rozier, at the very least, should make this list. I, I mean, pretty much I think every best player on the franchise, or in the league, probably should be on this list, right? And Terry Rozier, I would think it's either him or Devontae Graham, really. And they're right
2: there. Yeah, that was the point. You can't name me 34 players.
0: Yeah, and I I would think if you're 1A or 1B on your team, you should probably be on this list. So the fact that Terry Rozier is not is probably pretty crazy.
1: I was going to clown Terry Rozier because he's really terrible on defense. And then I remember Devontae Graham is even worse on defense. Yep.
0: <laughs> yep. what, what, Trey Young's, what, 23? And Trey Young's, like, one of the worst defensive players in the league right now. And he's at 23. Yeah. I know his offense makes up for it astronomically, but, you know, if we're going by and, that, they got Trey Young in the top 25.
2: And people don't even realize because they've played so many, like, a different amount of years. But Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier are the same age.
0: Mm. Devontae or Graham lost two more years.
2: Yeah, but the the biggest point, which I already said, is that if that there are neck and neck and if you're gonna put Graham at sixty-six, you cannot have thirty-four more players in between him and Rozier. It's fine, but him ahead of him, but put Rozier on the list. It's it's criminal.
0: Look, fair point. He recovered well. When he said Terry Rozier, I almost left. Like when you said Chris Middleton, I almost left. But when he said Terry Rozier, I really like almost left. Like I really just was gonna let y'all do the rest of the podcast by yourself. But you make it you make a compelling point, man. I I can't I can't deny that, but we're going to switch gears one more time Um, because as, you know, the NBA, the NBA season starts their restart and their re-tip. We know all the teams that are going to be in the bubble are at their hotels and at their stays right now, but it's only been like, what, a week and a half, two weeks of these NBA teams being at the bubble. And then we've got some stories already unfolding, like some hilarious, really interesting stories, you know, coming from... The bubble. So for our second half, we're going to call this bubble tea. And I, and I need to hear your favorite story, good or bad, coming from the NBA bubble right now. What's your, what's your number one story that's come out in the first two weeks? Matt, I'll start with you.
1: I got to say it's the Matisse-Thibel videos. They're incredibly edited. You can tell they're from a comms major. And he yeah. actually is one of the few players in the NBA who graduated college because he had to develop his game more. And it makes me love Tobias Harris. I know it's easy to make me love a Sixers player, but Tobias Harris comes off great in these clips. He does. And they're so well done. And it's hysterical that it's like it's like the entire league is at the Olympics together. It's like an Olympic village of only NBA players.
0: I said and it was like an AAU It's a
1: funny scenario.
0: Yeah. I it's great it. to
1: see all the content that comes from it.
0: It's, I think That's it's a- really funny.
1: Close second was the J.J. Reddick shotgunning
2: video. (laughs) That was great.
0: That's
2: for me. It's all
0: the – You got it.
2: All right, yeah, that's for me. It's all the content coming out. I mean, I was going to say the Matisse thing too, but even just like J.R. Smith goes live on Instagram all the time. He's complaining about the food. He wanted to get a blanket, and he couldn't get a blanket. And then you see all these guys going back and forth on their posts, and I'm loving it. The Matisse thing is great. JaVale McGee is also making videos. Um, Austin Rivers did like a bubble tour. And all of it, I mean, from a big sports fans as we all are, like we love to see that behind the scenes stuff, and I'm loving it.
0: I mean, it was good. With the Matisse videos, it's cool though because when athletes take the social media, it's it's a very thin line between like entertaining and corny, and you can like it's very easy to fall on either side of that fence. For example, I think Trey Young is quickly becoming to me like one of the corniest players in the league. Just his videos (laughs) are mad corny. Like I watch him, and I'm like, dog, like. Do you not, like, watch these back before you post them? Show it to somebody else? Send it in a group chat? Like, yo, do you think this will be good? Like, some of the stuff I see Trey Young post is just mad corny, and it doesn't make me laugh. But Matisse does it in a way, even when at the very start of quarantine, when he was doing, um, like, all the videos in his full uniform and his full Sixers uniform in his apartment, they were funny, man. They were were making me laugh. So uh, I'm here with both of you I'm here for all the content. For me, the best story, hands down has been like like the three-part story of Kelly Oubre telling everyone it's okay to order Postmates, Rashawn Holmes going to get it and, and leaving the bubble and then immediately getting a 10-day quarantine sentence when he came out. Like, that that was a very short story and like, three pictures. It was hilarious. And I think it was really funny because, like, it kind of shows who, the NBA not playing. Like, it, there's no negotiating. There's no, like, oh, I was only five feet outside of the – Dude, like, no, you step outside of that bubble and you will be quarantined. You will be penalized for 10 days. And I thought it was, it's almost comical, right? Because it was almost funny that, like, he was literally right outside the border of the bubble. Like, it's not like he went, you know, on a date or it's not like he went, you know, somewhere crazy that was far away. Dude literally put a pinky toe outside to grab his food and probably got snitched on. Like, someone probably hit that hotline. It was like, Rashawn Holmes oh. was outside. I saw him grabbing Wendy's. So, like, I think that's <laughs> – it's just funny to me that's, like it, – it's, like, a quick punishment. Now, like, oh. I, think it's, I think it's noteworthy that this wasn't LeBron or Kawhi or PG. Like, I think if LeBron wants to go, like, a half mile to get Wendy's, I don't, I don't think we're going to see LeBron get punished for that. But I think that Rashawn Holmes was easily made, like, a guinea pig, an example – for all these things, and it was like a great opportunity for the NBA to show all the players, like, look what happens when you step outside the bubble, and they've got no problem with making Rashawn Holmes the guinea pig for that. So, for me, that, that was hilarious. Like, I literally laughed when I saw that. And then Kelly Oubre said, never mind.
2: The big, the, the big takeaway is I just love seeing all these players be regular people. Yeah. I mean, they're all staying in a hotel – I mean, half of them brought a little Xbox with them or whatever. Like, I was on they, Tuesday the other day. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of them are, dude, I bet. And it's just it's great seeing that. They're not eating five-star meals. They're eating these hotel meals. They're fishing. They're doing what they can to have fun. And mm-hmm. it's nice seeing them. I don't want to say uncomfortable, but, you know, just like being regular people. No,
0: I, th- I think it's great. Kemba Walker was on uh, Take It There with Taylor Rooks. Um, and a-, a clip posted, and she was like, what's it like in the bubble? Give us an informal rundown. And he like, he keyed in on LeBron in particular. And he was like, I don't think LeBron's ever walked anywhere by himself since he was nine. Like LeBron always has an entourage. He has somebody with him, whether it's security, you know, his, uh, his legal team, his business team, whoever, LeBron's got somebody with him. And he was like, now LeBron just walks around by himself with LeBron. Like LeBron wants to go somewhere. It's like you can't like be buddy-buddy with people right now. You got to keep yourself at a distance. So he's like, When I see LeBron walking around, I just see LeBron. And he was like, it's cool to see that LeBron's a human. Like, now he's just a regular person. Like, LeBron doesn't have all this extra stuff with him. So, you're right, Kyle. I think it's, you know, I think it's cool to see, you know, them all kind of get put on a a level playing field right now. But uh, that's all we have for this this bulk of the episode. Uh, But along with this bubble tea, a lot of stuff happened in this past week in sports. So, Kyle, take it away, man. This is your time to shine. Hit us with the weekly wrap-up.
2: All right, first off, so we had the first injury occur in the bubble this week when Rajan Rondo broke his right thumb in a practice on Sunday. He's going to undergo surgery and is estimated to return in six to eight weeks. The timetable cuts very close to the playoffs here, but Coach Frank Vogel said he expects Rondo to be back in time for a postseason run. As we know, the Lakers are already down starting guard Avery Bradley, so how will losing another guard affect this team?
0: Big hey, LeBron's the point guard now. Like, now – now we, funny, when we started this episode, we talked about how Ben Simmons could be – in the LeBron James role of being, you know, kind of that point forward. But I think with these two injuries, LeBron is their point guard now. I don't see any other way to do it.
1: Rondo should be back in time for, like, the Western Conference Finals. So that's when it's really going to matter. But they really are going to have some, like, struggles with having no guards, really, that are healthy or good without Rondo.
0: Are we going
2: to see a JR Smith starter?
0: We can't. We can't see that. That was kind of – that was my next point okay. is- I think that's why LeBron moves to the war, because they can't start Jr. or Deion right now. They can't. Like, I, don't think, I don't think they'd be comfortable doing that. I wouldn't be comfortable with seeing that. So I think LeBron's got to move yeah. over to that role. Dang, we know Danny Green's not a point guard, so that's not going to happen. That's got to be LeBron's role now. Maybe we see a, a starting Dwight. Who knows?
2: For Alex Caruso playing more minutes – all right, moving on. Also, Lesberg announced earlier this week that he's tested positive for COVID nineteen. He says he's feeling well quarantined and looking forward to joining his teammates in Orlando. On that same note, Harrison Barnes also said he tested positive for the coronavirus, joining King's teammates Buddy Heal, Jabari Parker, and Alex Len. Heal and Parker are already back with the team, but Barnes and Len are still in Sacramento. It's important to note all these guys are say they are healthy, which we love to hear, and they're all expected to rejoin their teams before or within the first week of play starting. So we saw the basketball tournament, if anyone watched, um, start and finish really smoothly inside their bubble in Ohio. So are we concerned about the NBA's bubble here at all, or we think we're all right?
0: I mean, TBT happened in Ohio, not the epicenter of the world of coronavirus right now. Like, that's, I've got to remember, that's where all these people are. It is literally in the eye of the storm for the entire planet is in Florida. So, you know, that's... I think it's a little bit concerning, especially if you're someone for Russell Westbrook that you know you've gotten it. So, you know, like getting the coronavirus, is not like, you know, just a concept now? Like he actually has it. So I'm, I'm sure he's susceptible to getting it again, you know, even after he's quarantined. So, you know, the NBA seems headstrong with going there. So I don't think really anything's going to stop him. I don't think Russell Westbrook is like a tipping point player or is a player that, you know, if he gets it and pulls out that the NBA kind of reconsiders doing this whole thing, but, it's definitely concerning, man. I don't think you, you – we can't just continue to ignore it, right? Like, as more and more players that right. continue to ignore it.
1: They got to – they really have to be strict about going outside the bubble because it's – because the bubble's in Florida, like you said, it's like you got to wear like a hazmat suit before you get in the bubble. Um, yeah, it's starting to look like Toronto would have been the best city to put this in because they're in a country that –
0: yeah, Canada. Canada was not letting us up in Canada, man. Canada is not playing right now. <laughs> they were not letting us up there. Yeah. No way.
1: Right. That's where the hockey teams are, and I feel lots. I bet the hockey teams feel a lot safer than the NBA teams do.
2: All right, so there's been a lot of NFL contract news this past week. The most notable signings have been Miles Garrett, Derrick Henry, and Chris Jones. The, Brown, the Browns signed Garrett to a five-year, $125 million contract which is now the richest deal in terms of average salary among active NFL defensive players. Derrick Henry got a four-year $50 million contract from the Titans, making him the fifth highest paid running back in the league. And Chris Jones got a four-year $85 million extension from the Chiefs, who are without a doubt the biggest spenders of the offseason. On the opposite foot, the Cowboys and Dak did not reach a long-time deal, so Dak's going to be playing under the franchise tag this year. So what do we make of all this, and who is the biggest winner here?
1: The fact that Dak did not get a long-term deal is great news for every NFC East fan, because as much as Eagles fans like the crap on Dak for not being as good as Wentz, he is a very good quarterback, basically top 10 borderline where everyone put him. And people – like, look what happened with Kirk Cousins. They never gave – the Redskins never gave Kirk Cousins a long-term contract. Kirk Cousins left, and they've been terrible. I know they had bad luck with Alex Smith, his leg exploding. But getting good quarterbacks is not easy. And the fact that Dak can't – that the Cowboys and Dak can't work out a long-term deal is very good for me as an Eagles fan because that means he might leave in free agency after the 2020 season.
0: If I'm Chris Jones, I'm ecstatic. Like, if I'm Chris Jones, like, I'm jumping for joy – Because I I bet when he was reading all these alerts of this mega deal that Patrick Mahomes got, he probably threw his hands up in the air and was like, there goes my contract. Like, if if they're throwing money at this guy like this, no way they got enough, you know, left in the tank to get me my deal. And then it came out with how team-friendly Patrick Mahomes' deal was. Like, that, you know, that kind of aided to the fact that they were able to ink Chris Jones again. Um, So I think he's, you know, kind of one of the the biggest beneficiaries, one of the biggest benefactors of the, the Chiefs being this big of spending was that he still got his deal done. And the Chiefs bring back a a guy that it looked like they were going to lose, especially because they didn't sign him up until now. So good for Chris Jones, man. He deserved it. deserved it all. And I'm glad the Chiefs got it done for him.
2: All right. So on Monday, a panel of doctors denied Elena Deladon's request to opt out of the WNBA season for medical reasons, saying she is not at a high risk of catching the coronavirus. Deladon says she is now faced with a difficult decision to risk her life or forfeit her paycheck and was shocked at the WNBA's decision. She also revealed – that she's been battling Lyme's disease and takes 64 pills a day. And she's been uh, suffering from this disease now for multiple years. Thankfully, however, the Washington Mystics stepped up and said that they will pay Deladon's salary regardless of if she opts in or not. So shout out to Mystics, Mystics, man. Health over basketball always. And we're wishing the best here for Elena Deladon.
0: Yes, sir. I don't really have too much to add for that. Your last sentence was exactly what I was going to say. It's like – we need all leagues to start prioritizing physical and mental health over the performance of players. So if she Absolutely. legitimately, like, and has very much reasons to back it up, if she was legitimately concerned for her health uh, of going down and catching a virus, then I think she shouldn't, she shouldn't be penalized because of that. She should still be compensated fully. So great on the Mystics. Shame on, the, uh, on Team Doctors and the WNBA for not allowing her to do that.
2: All right, next up, we got Jonathan Kuminga, the number one recruit in the 2021 high school basketball class, has chosen to not only reclassify into the class of 2020, but he's now going to forego the college experience and play in the G League. Kuminga graduated from the Patrick School back in June, but still had his prep year of eligibility left. He's now the fifth prospect to join the G League this year, and the second of the five that was a number one prospect, the other, of course, being Jalen Green. Good move, bad move. What are we thinking here? I think with
1: the threat of no college sports next year, you're going to see a lot of this. Yeah. And if you want to get good tape of yourself, you have to play. The college isn't a reliable place anymore. You got to go to the G League. Okay. And I think it's a, I think we're going to see a lot more of this coming up.
0: That's a, that's a huge point, Matt, and a point that everyone's missing is that we might not get college sports, especially football and basketball, we might not get that in the 2020-2021 season. So if you commit – you know, and you are going to be a one-and-done player. Now, the only tape that people have on you is your high school tape, and no one's going pro off a high school tape. So, uh, I, I, you know, I completely agree. And Kyle, I know me and you were kind of talking about this off camera. Is he didn't need that extra prep year for that prep? Nah. Year, that prep year is reserved for guys like uh, Zaire Wade. Um, you know, yep. guys like you know Carter Witt. Guys who like who who kind of need to to portray that. KJ Martin was a good one who used his extra prep year. So John, the doesn't need that. That's the number one prospect. He was going to be a lottery pick and he's going to benefit more from playing with, you know, professional competition than even he would have done going to college wherever he would have landed.
2: Yeah. That's what he needs. He just needs those NBA level game speed reps. That's what he needs. This year is going to be great for him and probably a top five pick next year, but time will tell.
0: I'm not going to doubt that.
2: Time will tell. So, Moving on, Texans wide receiver Kenny Stills was among 87 protesters arrested in Louisville who are now facing felony and misdemeanor charges. This was during a protest demanding justice for Brianna Taylor that ended up at the home of Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Stills, of course, or Stills of course, has been very outspoken against racial injustice for many years now and has kneeled every game during the national anthem, national anthem since Colin Kaepernick started the movement in 2016. He concluded by saying, "There is nothing you can do to get me to stop protesting." We can work towards a solution, but there's no bargain for me to stop protesting. This is a sticky situation, of course, getting arrested, but I- I'd like to think Stills is on the right side of justice here.
1: It's absurd that it's a felony charge when they're focusing on arresting him, but not the people who killed Brianna Taylor. It's just
2: yeah. a complete
1: farce of justice.
2: Yeah. They also were saying stuff about um, how the protest was intimidating and stuff, and then the pictures come out, and they're just sitting in the guy's yard and it, it, it's a crazy story that's developing. I
0: just feel like, um, you know, sometimes people like to get on Bleacher Report for, you know, having either clickbait articles and not having the most accurate stuff. I think their coverage of what happened with Kenny Stills and the rest of the protesters was, was very good. Um, because, you know, upon Kenny Stills getting arrested along with the other protesters, they made it very known that this wasn't something that Kenny Stills just up and did today or yesterday or even just this past year. Like you said, Kyle, he's, he's been kneeling every game since Colin Kaepernick started in 2016. Um, he started many charities in each of the cities that he's played in, uh, whether it's been Houston, whether it's been Miami. He's donated to organizations that help social change. Um, he started organizations that help social change. He's been a huge advocate in the community. He, he won the Walter, May- Walter Payton Man of the Year Award one year and donated that entire earnings um, to community organizations that helped, I, <clears throat> I believe it was Miami uh, the year that he won it or the year that he was a finalist. So, I mean, Kenny Stills has been doing this, man. This isn't this isn't new. This wasn't for attention. This is a cause that he's been fighting, and I hope that he continues to fight and use his platform because that's you know that, that was great to see a guy with so much to lose, you know, being out in the field like that and fighting every single day for something that we shouldn't even be still fighting for it. And it's ridiculous and an absolute joke that we're still lobbying, you know, for, for murderers to be to be put down. Pop Smoke's killers were, were arrested and jailed, you know, w- with the absolute quickness. And then all these protesters were arrested and fined and some were facing jail time before Breonna Taylor and George Floyd's murders and killers saw jail. So, you know, this absolute joke, I, I can't believe it, but, you know, I thank you, Kenny Stills and everyone else who was fighting the good fight down there in Louisville.
2: So That's all I have for us here, but I do want to mention that us at Straight Facts are aware of a developing story that just broke while we were on air about the Washington Redskins um, and Dan Snyder. We don't want to speculate here. We want to be professional as possible, so we're not undermining the significance here, but we're just not going to speculate on what's happening because, for once, we don't have all the facts.
0: Straight up. That's how that (laughs) works.
2: All right, so that is all we have, so let's move into the countdown. Number five.
1: The amount of home runs Bryce Harper has total in the four postseasons he's played in. Hopefully that number goes up this year, 60-game season. Let's hope it's a longer postseason than what the Sixers have had recently.
0: Bryce, Harper's, Bryce Harper's power in the playoffs. Shakey, baby. <laughs> now, the $330 million, I need, I need more than that, but he hasn't seen a postseason with the Phillies yet, so I'm sure when he sees a postseason with the Phillies, that'll be different. Number four. Number four, the amount of games the nine seed in the West has to be within the eight seed to force a play-in tournament. That's going to be the theme of these next couple of episodes, are these play-in games and these play-in teams. Um, so for, for the East, look, I, I'm not even sure that the Wizards are going to be within that four. In the West, I got to think it's going to be the Pelicans are going to be within that four.
2: Number three. The
1: amount of point guards that were on the 2015-16 Dallas Mavericks who were born on June 26, 1984, as J.J. Barrera, Darren Williams, and Raymond Felton.
0: That's got to be, like, the craziest sports statistic fact. The fact all. that they were
1: all point guards is what gets me. Yeah, Not right. They're three, but they're all point guards, too. Oh,
0: no. I don't care if they were three different positions. The fact you have three guys on one team born on the same day and the same year is wild. Don't, they, they got to go play lottery or something. Number two. Number of kids Gary Payton has that he named after himself. <laughs> Gary Payton Jr. <laughs> and Gary Payton the second. The glove man. The glove. How that's do you distinguish like
1: in the house between them? That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. There's the Junior and Gary? Is that how you call the kid? Yeah.
0: I guess. Because like I guess one's one's Gary Jr., one's Gary, one's just Gary. Oh, when they go to family reunions, it's probably terrible. If grandma says Gary, three people are turning around.
2: And even an even worse one is uh, George Foreman, the boxer, named five of his kids George Foreman.
0: You're playing with me. No. Nope. <laughs> well, tell me they're all boys.
2: Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I feel
1: like he named a girl like Georgina Foreman. <laughs> I, I could be wrong though. Don't I don't I'm not writing that name.
0: No, George Foreman is a heavyweight boxer, one of the best of all times, and that's still the biggest knockout punch he's ever delivered.
2: Number one.
1: The number of losses the 1967 Baltimore Colts had, and they missed the playoffs because the way the NFL playoffs were structured back then was funky. Each division winner won, and that year the Packers, I'm guessing, had a better record than them in division. Uh, The ties might have screwed them up. And this has happened a couple times in NFL history, but this happened to a Johnny Unitas team, and it cost them a shot at a chip. Yep. It's called the Don Shula Trophy, because Shula was the coach of that Colts team instead of the Lombardi Trophy.
2: Mm. They're allowed in the playoffs.
0: Few things would make me more upset than losing one game in a regular season and not going to the playoffs.
2: Yeah, and they were, they were undefeated going into that last year, the last week as well. They yeah, lost you the know, last game of the season.
0: You'd have to if you're the commissioner, you'd have to fight me. We're restructuring this whole thing right now. I'm not yeah. going how, I mean I'm guessing it was twelve games at the time. I'm not going eleven and one and missing the playoffs. That's just not I'm just not doing that. But we're almost out of time for this episode, but we get some shots about the buzzer. Come, I'll let you go first. You got anything to say at the buzzer?
1: <laughs> Come back to me. Come oh, back to go me. Go first.
0: Go right, ahead, Matt. We gotta say at the buzzer.
1: So this is just we need some happy sports stories in the world. So I'm going to tell a happy sports story about NFL player Alan Page. Alan Page was an all-time great defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings. He was part of the Purple People Eaters defense. He grew up in Canton, Ohio, and his job, one of his summer jobs, is he helped build the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So he literally laid the groundwork for (laughs) to actually get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then his post-playing career is even more incredible. He became a justice on the Minnesota Supreme Court and ruled for, like, decades and had an incredible, legendary playing career and a legendary post-career. That's just a fun sports story
2: for you all.
0: I like that. We might have to turn that into a, a social media post so more people can see that. I like that. Kyle, you got one? You got shot?
2: Yeah, I got one. Um... I wanted to bring it up last week, but I thought it was pretty important about telling people to wear masks because I thought that was a big problem at the time. But uh, so, my favorite artist ever, Juice World, dropped an album, mm. and I love it. And I think everyone loves it. And I just want to give him that airtime because I've never really said it anywhere to be published. So rest in peace, Juice World, and thanks for the album.
0: R.I.P. Juice, man. Gotta, gotta love it. Wayne, Wayne gave him a co-sign, so anyone that Wayne co-signs is I'm a fan of. So I ran up his last album. From front to back, so I had to pay my respect, so I love it. I hear you, man. Uh, my tab is short and sweet. Uh, why did y'all never tell me about the show Ozark? No one told me about the show.
2: You never I saw just, it.
0: No, I just finished the first six episodes of this, and trust me, I'm mm-hmm. taking down the rest of season one by the end of tonight. That show is God-level. Like, it's not. Wait, yeah. it's not a great show. That show is God-level. Like, that is – it's – Better than Breaking Bad. I think it's just as good, if not a little bit better, than Power. All those cartel type shows, like this man, Marty Byrne, goes at it. I've never seen <laughs> I've never seen an accountant from Chicago go at it like Marty Byrne goes at it. So I'm I'm all for it. Ozark is that show. If you've never seen it, you know, please go watch it on Netflix because I've been told I was really I was really sleep. So I'm glad I'm awake now I'm here.
2: And you're saying this only six episodes in.
0: Yeah, that's so I, I, heard, I heard I haven't even – I heard I haven't even hit the top of the iceberg yet. Season,
2: season three, the past season, I love. Yeah? That, yeah, it's so I weird. need to
1: get started. I haven't watched it either. Yeah,
0: oh, it's we, so we good. We were asleep, Stat Matt. We were asleep for sure, but we awake now. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. We remember our our co host wanted to hear Jake, who's on vacation, Jewel, who had work today. But for my guy Stat Matt and Carl Siric, I am James Jackson. Thanks for joining us again. And these have been The Facts.
1: Straight up.